When my son Sam was born, we were given a whole bunch of different children's Bibles. The most interesting one by far was this busy Bible here. It's got all these activities you can do to interact with the story. And it's full of, it's full of kid stories. You know what I mean? So, so it starts off, we've got, we've got the creation story. You can pull back each day to see what happened. Noah's Ark, you pull out animals. Uh, this, is, this is the pillar of salt, Lot's wife. We, we lost Lot's wife. She is somewhere. But you could normally like take her and then you spin her around and all of a sudden she's salt. There's Joseph's coat of many colors. You can actually take it off. There, he is wearing something underneath there. <laughs> Baby Moses, he's lost. We'll just say he's with the Pharaoh's daughter. Ruth is gathering grain. King Solomon, Jonah and the great fish. Birth of Jesus, you got a little flannel graph here you can pull out. Peter fishing. Get Joseph back in there. Let me get to the last page. The last page, we've got the Good Samaritan. And then we have one page left. The last page of this Bible, the climax of our Christian faith, the last story my children are told in this children's Bible. After the Good Samaritan is... Dorcas makes a garment. Because if there is one story I want to make sure my children know, it's Acts 9, Dorcas makes clothes. I don't know how the cross and resurrection managed to not make it in this one, but uh, thank goodness we've got the clothing covered. It is funny, we've, we've got in our minds which stories are, are kids' stories in the Bible. I mean, we, we know it's for everybody, uh, and yet there's this sense in which we have this filter. And so the stories that we most tend to, our chil- most tend to tell our children are, are for kids. But ironically enough, a lot of these kids' stories are a little bit terrifying. So Noah's Ark. Maybe you've seen the Noah's Ark-themed nursery rooms, the animals, the boat, very sweet. But it, but it starts with God destroying the world. And it ends with the rainbow, very nice, and God saying, I will never destroy the earth again by flood. And I remember being scared of that as a child. Like, okay, well, it's not water, so does that mean it's going to be fire next? Not exactly a comforting bedtime story. So we tell them Noah's Ark. We talk to them about giants. We tell them stories where people are thrown into a pit with lions. We tell them stories about men who, when they cut their hair, they get their eyes plucked out. Kids' stories, right? I do this with songs, too. Some songs are for grown-ups, some songs are for kids. How Great Thou Art, grown-up song. Jesus Loves Me, kid song. I want to read a kid's story to you this morning. This is from Mark 10, starting with verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's a kid's story, except that it's not. 
Kids don't need to hear this story. This story isn't told for the benefit of children. Children know they're welcome on Jesus' lap. That's why they're there. This is a grown-up story. This is told for the disciples. This is, this is a story for the adults who are close to Jesus who need to be reminded that children belong in the lap of God. It's not a children's story. There is a phrase that drives me a little bit crazy having to do with children in the church. In fact, I teach a children and family ministries class right now, and every once in a while my students will slip this into class discussion just to drive me crazy because it really, really bothers me. And it's that phrase, children are the future of the church. And it drives me crazy because it's not true. They're not the future of the church. They, they, they are the church. I was so glad when Pastor Steve, a few weeks ago during infant dedication, made that very point that he's holding up the baby. Uh, this is not the future of the church. This is the church right here. I mean, if, if Jesus is saying that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's not then adding, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and when they grow up, they will also inherit the local church. No. no. If the kingdom of heaven belongs to children, then, then surely the local church does as well. So what does it look like for us as a church to value children. There is no Holy Spirit Junior. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is present in the eight-year-old. When Pastor Steve holds up that infant, he's not just holding her up so we can admire the dress and the hair, even though it's cute. It's he's holding her up as a part of our church that we need to listen to. Because there are certain things that children can hear that we just don't. I love it when we have kids up here reading scripture. I love it. I will confess, the first few times I saw it happening, my initial reaction was, oh, that's so sweet. As it often is. But oftentimes, Oftentimes, we will patronize what God intends to be prophetic. And so, these kids come up here, like they did this morning. They open up the word of scripture, and, and, and these kids are taking this seriously. I mean, they're not just given the passage of scripture 10 minutes before the service. They are spending hours practicing, reading this aloud, looking at translations, reading with their parents. These are voices that we need to hear. Because for whatever reason, there are things that God wants to tell us that God only speaks through children. I mean, this is, this is the Samuel. This is the classic story of Samuel right here. That Samuel is a young boy. He's sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant. He hears the voice of God, and he becomes the spokesperson for God as a child. Now, I've heard it said before that, well, but if, if Eli had been sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant, he probably would have heard something too. I don't know that I'd buy that. I don't know that he would have. I, I think that Eli could have spent every single waking moment right next to the altar and still not heard what Samuel heard. Because some got times, God hides things from the wise and the learned and reveals them to little children. There are certain things that I cannot hear from God, not because I'm not trying, not because I don't want to, but because I'm just too old. 
there are certain things that God reveals to children that he does not reveal to the rest of us. And it's not just, it's not just for lack of trying. Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus says to his father, You have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And then he adds, I praise you, you have hidden these things. Jesus is glad that there's things we can't hear, maybe because he knows that in order for the fullness of the gospel, we have to make sure we've got children near us. I'm talking about children here. I'm not just referring to the parent-child relationship, although that is important. But we can value children at this church without having any children of our own. That's the bigger point here. There are things that children can see that we cannot see. There are things that children can hear that we cannot hear. So in Matthew 21, we read about the triumphal entry. We're going to be hearing a lot about this in the future. You know the story. We've got the the parade, the donkey, the coats, uh, the cheering. And then Jesus goes rogue. And he is no longer parade marshal Jesus. He is rioting Jesus. He is leading protests and throwing over tables and all of a sudden the story changes and we're going to back away a little bit because that's not the Jesus we thought we were signing up for. But listen to what we hear in Matthew. All right, so we've had the parade. He turns over the tables and then we read, but when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, They were indignant. It was the children shouting at the very end there. Somewhere in the story, somewhere between the triumphal entry to the throwing over the tables, Jesus lost a lot of friends. And as people were backing away, not sure they wanted to be associated with this person, the children remain praising him. Because these kids are seeing something that the rest of us don't. We need to see what children see. We need to hear what children hear. And I don't just mean that metaphorical. I don't just mean that we need to be made like children. I mean we need actual children. In 2005, Howard Stapleton, his 17-year-old daughter, went off to get something from the store, and she came back complaining about these 12, 13, 14-year-old teenagers that were harassing her. And so her father invented the mosquito tone. You heard of this? It's it's this high-pitched frequency tone that you can play in stores or transportation hubs. And it's it's a certain sound that only the young can hear. And it's annoying. And so stores play this because teenagers then won't loiter there anymore. (laughs) They thought it was brilliant. They got some type of IG Nobel Peace Prize award, which is some award for uh, inventions that make us think or make us laugh. But... uh, Phil, we managed to get a hold of some of these tones, and I don't want to embarrass anybody. You do not have to play along with this, but if you want to see, to test your hearing alongside of a child's, uh, we're going to play a few tones here, and I'm going to ask you to just sit down when you can no longer hear, and we'll see who's left, okay? So again, you don't have to play along. You can stay seated if you want. Those of you that want to participate, though, go ahead and stand up. All right, Phil, if you can play the first tone. Okay, so it's playing right now. If you didn't hear that, go ahead and sit down. Again, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. 
Okay, next tone. Now, this next tone is for, uh, they say anyone who's, most people who are 49 and under can hear it. Yeah, I didn't hear that. I am not 49, and I, I, I should be sitting down right now. I'm not going to. Go ahead and sit down if you didn't hear it. Okay, this is the tone, the frequency that they say most people 30 and under can hear. Can someone tell me, did it play? Because I can't tell. You heard something? Okay, thank you, thank you. Go ahead and sit down if you did not hear something. I promise this isn't a trick. They can really hear this. Okay, now we've got age 24 and younger. Nod your head if you heard something that I can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got a big old smile on your face. Okay. We got a few people standing. Uh, this, this next one, I, I don't know if this next, we only had a few people that could hear this last time. So this is the, this is the tone that he used for, for people ages 18 and under. Nod your head, yes, if you could hear something. Okay, we need you here in this church. No, you're shaking your head, no. <laughs> go, go ahead and sit down, thank you, thank you. There are certain things we just can't hear. We had a great time this morning before the service started. We're trying to test everything, and so Phil plays the first, and I'm like, great. Phil plays the second one, and I'm like, okay, I, I, maybe it's playing, I don't know. Thankfully, Travis Bannon was here. And he's like, yes, Mandy, it's playing. And so he was my, my go-to person. We're going through tone by tone. And at the end, Travis says, you know, when I was in high school, we used to download that as our ringtone. He said we could get text messages without any of our teachers knowing. Some of you are nodding your heads. I'm spoiling your secrets right now. That is classic teenagers, by the way. Uh, adults think we're so sneaky, we're going to come up with some plot to foil the plans of teenagers and we'll keep them from loitering. And then teenagers grab hold of it and they baptize it and they make it their own and use it against it. That's why I love teenagers. They're just, they're just brilliant like that. Thanks for playing along with me on that. If we want to value children at College Wesleyan Church, we need to hear what they hear. We need to see what they see. St. Benedict lived about 500 years before Christ was born, and uh, he, he made a new monastic rule and order for, for monastery living. And he had a rule. He said that any time important decisions were made in the monastery, they needed their youngest people there to help make the decision. Because, he writes, the Lord often reveals to the younger what is best. What if children were a part of our meetings here? Maybe not all of them, but, but, but when we had really important decisions to make. What if we had children sitting in on those strategic planning meetings? On those budgetary meetings? Now the temptation is then to say, oh, isn't that so cute? Or don't you just love their passion? Or this is such great training for the future. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of truth there. It might be a very cute person. Uh, they might have a lot of passion, and, and I'm sure it's very good training for their future, but that's not the point. We need 
the kid in the meeting because we need Samuel to be present, sharing what it is they're hearing from the Lord. We don't value children for their potential. We value children for their presence, for who they are. Sometimes the devil tricks us into patronizing what God intends to be prophetic. But wouldn't kids get bored in our meetings? Well, maybe. (laughs) Maybe that would prompt us to make our meetings more exciting. Or maybe just the sheer presence of having a child in the room would add a certain amount of life. Children hear things differently. They see things differently. Theologian Andrew Walls speaks of a people auditorium. An auditorium in the world where where at the center of this auditorium, at the stage, the play of the gospel is shared. We watch the gospel unfold here on the stage. But depending on where we're sitting, we see it differently. Depending on where we are sitting in the arena, we hear something differently. We see something differently. Nobody is able to take in the entirety of the story from their one specific position. Our fullest understandings of the gospel, he says, comes when we are in communion with people who are sitting in different spots. Different ages, different genders, different nationalities, different races, different economic situations. That's how we get a fuller understanding of the gospel, he says. You want to know ways in which we move into having more childlike faith? It's in spending time with children. So we read, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But Jesus doesn't end there, because in the same breath that he is telling us to welcome children, he also gives us a warning. Matthew 18 continues, But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Skipping ahead, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven Always see the face of my Father in heaven. I am continually haunted by two passages, by two lines in that passage. The whole millstone around the neck thing. And then the, their angels are always before the face of my Father. I don't get what that means. I, I can't grasp the significance of that. But I think, I think what it's telling us is that Jesus loves the little children of the world and he is always watching. Always watching out for them. Children have been in the news a lot this week. Uh, We've seen stories coming out of Washington, D.C. of young girls who go missing and 
because of their race are not given the same amount of attention as others because of certain assumptions that we've made. The White House is redoing some budget issues, and, and the, the relationship between free school meals and academic performance was brought into the, for, the, the, the forefront this week, conversations going back and forth. The White House budget director said concerning these free meals, he said, they're supposed to help kids who don't get fed at home to get fed, so they do better in school. Guess what, he continued. There's no demonstrable evidence they're actually doing that. Now, we could sit down with this director and pull out the studies talking about the correlation between well-fed children and academic performance, but honestly, that conversation is not as important to me. I don't want to feed children so they will do better in school. I want to feed children so that they won't be hungry. Could you imagine if we had a child in on that meeting? So someone raises the possibility of cutting funding to school lunches, and it's obvious to the kid, no. If kids are hungry, let's feed them. I'm a part of a new nonprofit called the Brain Kitchen after school program. We bring kids in, homework, mentoring. We teach them how to cook. They go home on Fridays with meals that they made that they're sharing with friends and family. We took a week off this last week. Marion Public Schools has a spring break, so we took a week off of the Brain Kitchen. I wish we hadn't done that. We'll rethink this for next year. I, I wish we hadn't done that because when you've got five kids showing up on the campus of Indiana Wesleyan on Monday night like we did this past Monday. And when they walk onto campus and they say that they're hungry because they haven't had anything to eat yet today, that's a tough pill to swallow. Now, thankfully, they, they recognized Aaron Murray, uh, one of our attendees here, a student at Indiana Wesleyan, his basketball player. He came to the Brain Kitchen uh, the week before in his basketball uniform doing his basketball stuff with the kids. They saw him, they recognized him. Aaron, we haven't had anything to eat. So you can imagine Aaron's response. <laughs> he didn't ask them to take a test to check their academic performance. He took them into Wildcat, he found a way to get them some food, all five children. Now some people hear that and they go, oh come on, those kids were just playing Aaron. They, they, they had some food, they, they knew exactly where to go to get a free meal. I hope so. I hope those kids know exactly where to go to get a free meal. I hope we have that kind of reputation here, that if you're hungry, you find a way to uh, wander onto the campus. If you're hungry, you walk into the doors of College Wesleyan Church and someone will feed you. I hope we have that reputation. I do wonder what kind of reputation Jesus had that kids just knew they could come on his lap. There was something about his character, something about his person that signaled that green light. It's a little over a year ago when Pastor Steve shared with the congregation that Grant County has the second highest child poverty rate in the state of Indiana. Now, interestingly enough, we also have the highest charitable giving rate per capita in the state of Indiana. There's potential here. There is stuff we can do. That, that should give us hope. But bottom line, there's a connection between valuing children and budgetary lines. 
So what does it look like to value children at College Wesleyan Church? What sort of budget would indicate that we value children here? We show value to children by budgetary lines. We also show we value children by looking them in the eye, by listening to the things they say, by asking them questions. My favorite part of church right now is walking through those doors right over there with my three kids. I love it because there are greeters there. And when we walk through there, I've got three kids, nine, six, and two. The greeters treat them like real people. They don't just look at me as the mom and say, you know, hello, Mandy, and all the kids want up. No, they, they stop, they shake their hands, they look them in the eye, they say hello. My kids walk through the door here and they know they're welcomed. Clara always grabs a bulletin. Like, they always hand her one, she takes it. She can't read. From a, from, a, from a green perspective, like, oh, wasted paper. Don't worry, I use it. But from, a, but from a child's perspective, this is Clara. She gets her bulletin, I belong here. They made this for me. It's so simple. But what a profound statement that when children walk through these doors, someone is looking them in the eye and smiling and welcoming them. There's all kinds of studies out right now on factors that keep kids in the church after they grow up. What is it about these kids that go through elementary school, high school, college, and, and when, they're, when they're in their 20s, they're, they're still sitting here in the pews? There's all kinds of studies out, different theories as to what needs to happen. One thing that's pretty consistent, however, is that the, the kids that grow up to be adults in the church tend to be kids who have had six significant relationships with adults in their church family. This is outside of their parents. If a child can name six adults that she knows cares for her, there's a good chance that she is going to claim this as her home. She's going to say, I belong here. Six contacts. I was just talking with Stephanie Freemeyer, our children's director, earlier this week, and I was asking her, okay, so what, what, what is it that we need? And uh, Now, the easy answer, of course, is volunteers, right? I do not like that word, volunteers. That's, that's what you do for your neighbor when they go on vacation, okay? You, you volunteer to pick up mail. You volunteer to water plants. We don't need volunteers. We need partners and mentors and teachers who are going to look children in the eye. Of course, we can always use more teachers and mentors. She said specifically, though, it's the, it's the three-year-old class and the third-grade class. Those are the two biggest needs right now. Three-year-old class. Nikki Reeves, Carolyn Funkus. Those were my three-year-old teachers. I remember them because they were there every week. Because when I go back to my hometown now and I see them, they say, hi, Mandy. And I say, hi, Nikki. Third grade. This was Mrs. Fox. The first six significant contacts I made in my church were all made by the time I hit fifth grade. They were my, they were my Sunday school teachers. Mrs. Funkus, Mrs. Reeves, Mrs. Ott. She was in her 70s, by the way. Mrs. Fox, Mr. Busker. That was exciting because we had a boy Sunday school teacher. And Mrs. Beekus. By the time I got through fifth grade, I had at least six adults that I could list off just like that, who I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt loved me. Looking back, 
I don't know what those workers had to give up in order to be there every single week for an entire year, but I am so glad they did. A few weeks ago at the Brain Kitchen, we were blending up fruit to make smoothies. And one of the boys turned to me and he said, do you have a mentor for me? And I said, no. And he said, where do I find a mentor? And I said, um, uh, and he said, can you get me one? And I said, I'll ask. (laughs) This is me asking. (laughs) When Amy and Vicky of Kids Hope or the Boys and Girls Place or uh, the Switch Up, got Andrew here, who's the director of the Switch Up in Van Buren. When they're asking for mentors, it's not Vicki Conrad asking for a mentor. There's a kid behind Vicki who is asking for a mentor. Vicki's not asking because she thinks it's a good idea, even though she thinks it is. She's asking because there are literally children who are asking questions like that. Can you get me a mentor? Can you find me a mentor? What would it look like for College Wesleyan Church to really value children? Now, I hope I haven't made, I hope I haven't made partnering with children sound glamorous because it's not. It's hard work. Uh, oftentimes, oftentimes, the kids who need the love the most are the hardest kids to love. That kid who asked me for the mentor, he's the one that needs the mentor the most. And it's going to take a special person that will have the tenacity to sit through and do life with him. Now, I say all this, but I need to acknowledge that there are some of us here who just aren't kid people. That's okay. You know, you're not really a kid person. C.S. Lewis wasn't a kid person. He wasn't. Uh, he, he openly admitted, he said, he said, I've never really had an, affe- an affection for children, and I consider this one of my greatest flaws, he wrote. And yet, he clearly valued children. I mean, if he is writing so many letters back to children who have reached out to him that we have published a book with the title, Letters to Children, C.S. Lewis. He might not be a kid person, but he values children. There is a sense in which he is taking the faith and the hearts of these children quite seriously. We need to know what these kids are hearing. We need to know what these kids are saying, not for the sake of their future, but for us in our present moment here in order to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ.